Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 231 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thanks to Text Expander for sponsoring our show. Communicate smarter with Text Expander. Gather, perfect, and share your knowledge. Recall your best words instantly and repeatedly. Learn more at textexpander.com forward slash podcast. And we'd also like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted, pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. In our last episode, we went way, way out there to the edge and discussed the basics of quantum computing and how it might impact lawyers in the next few years. In this episode, we're back in the practical world, but it's also another math-related episode in a way. Very practical and important math uh, measures, metrics, and how you can use them to help you be better at what you do. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? You know, I just want to note for the record that um, when I signed up for this podcast how many years ago, you or nobody else told me there would be math. And I'm just going to note that objection here for the record before we get started. And so, Dennis, anyway, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be measuring things, talking about what to measure, how to take action on what you measure. Uh, in the second segment, we're going to dive into, um, the script says our frustration, but I think we'll find out it's more Dennis's frustration with the way ebooks are priced today. Uh, and as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, measures, metrics, KPIs, dashboards, something called OKRs, and more. There are... A number of things you see in corporations that you don't see as often uh, in law firms, mostly because lawyers practice for so long as a profession rather than a business. So they didn't do things that other businesses actually did. One of these things is metrics. Companies use metrics of all types to measure success, compliance, or other things, but uh, law firms, I think, not so much, uh, although that's been changing a lot lately in the past few years. Um, uh, the, the management guru Peter Drucker once said, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it, or maybe it was that he said, you can't manage what you can't measure. He said something like that. There are a lot of variations on this quote. Um, Dennis, we hear people talking about measures and metrics and things like that. Uh, what's the difference? Is there a difference? Well, Tom, I think that this is where we get like a little bit of math. So um, I think that measures really mean anything that you can measure. So we could, in our law firm, we could measure profits and the our revenues. And metrics, I like, are a relationship between uh, two measures. So we might say profits per partner or revenue 
per month. So I, I think it's as simple as that. Um, and it's clear that uh, the terms get used interchangeably. So what I've noticed is that there will be this notion where people say, we we need metrics. And um, they usually say, we need some metrics and almost like, let's go find ourselves some metrics. And, and, and we'll jump into that. That's probably got it exactly uh, backwards. But so that's my notion of uh, measures and metrics and this, this sort of demand, like I said, to go get some metrics. Well, I don't think it's, yeah, I agree. It's not necessarily getting metrics. It's using metrics. It's saying, what can we measure to uh, to be successful? What can we measure to figure out how successful we are? And I think, you know, you've given some examples. Let's give a, a few more examples. Um, a lot of law firms decide to measure how successful their marketing efforts are. You know, the total marketing spend, total number of leads generated, uh, converting leads into clients, um, how much it costs to acquire a client. These are metrics that relate directly to the success of the firm. Those are things that are more easily measured. Um, you may want to measure how much revenue you generate from a particular client uh, on a case-by-case basis. To that, that can help you decide what types of cases or what types of clients you want to handle. So that's why figuring out what to measure is important. Uh, you might want to measure the number of new clients that you get per month or the revenue build per month or the revenue you collect per month. Um, you know, s- there are things that are maybe less less directly related to the bottom line that you could measure, like client satisfaction or even your employee satisfaction. There's a novel idea. But um, it also might be your internal business processes. Uh, how long from a client call does it take for you to open a case? One of the things that we measure a lot with the companies that we represent is how long uh, before a, a claim comes in do you put a legal hold down because you want to make sure that you're protecting information as soon as possible. There are dozens and hundreds of things that you can measure. And really, I think what we're going to talk about today is how to prioritize what it is that you want to measure. And and it's really those types of things you need to think about. Is it about how successful your marketing is? Is it how successful your revenue generation is? It is how efficient you are um, in the practice of law. I think that one of the first things you have to decide before you can start to use metrics is to figure out what measurements are going to be important to you. Yeah, Tom, I I think there is this sort of uh, job to be done sense to metrics where you're saying, okay, what is it that I I want to accomplish and what am I using this tool to do? So you, what you may say is, you know, my clients think that we're really slow and they're unhappy with that. So if you say, well, I'm sort of focused on improving client satisfaction and I don't feel I'm slow. We do. We turn around things the way we always do. You could say, oh, what we could do is we could measure the time that it takes, say, from an initial client meeting to when they get drafts of documents and start to see what that number is. And then, and then start to question it, you know, or if you will, interrogate uh, that metric and say, um, is that reasonable? Can we make it faster? Set goals on that, and with the re- with the idea of saying, what would it take for our customers, our clients, to feel um, that we're we're not slow? And so, that that sort of time from meeting 
to first draft, let's say, of, of a contract or will or something that could become a really important uh, metric for you because you're trying to fix a specific problem. You could also look out into the future and say, if, as Tom said, there's a bunch of uh, metrics where you'd say, like, if how are we doing on our cost of acquiring uh, new clients? You know, how do we look at profitability over a period of time, you know, employee satisfaction. So I think it's it, that if you say, here's what we think we want to do. So with a metric, I think that is really going to help you. I guess, Tom, that one of the big resistance to me always on uh, with lawyers I see is, is one is the sort of get me some metrics, go out and find what metrics other people use. So I think there's a tendency to do that. And I also think that lawyers sort of feel everything they do is totally unique and that they can't really standardize on anything. Sort of like each client, each case, each matter, each deal is completely different and, and unique. And so I think that that's, uh, that keeps them away from metrics and, uh, and they ignore some, some possibilities there that can be really helpful. So I think there's a point to that. I think that lawyers may have a point that their practice may have some unique qualities to it that they feel like anyway is incapable of applying metrics to. I think uh, the, the way that I conceive of metrics is that no matter how unique the matter is, um, you can still compare it against others and come up with a kind of a mean that can help you gauge a relative measure of success. There are, to me, the metrics kind of float a little bit higher above the uniqueness of any particular case, and they look at the commonalities of the things that you're trying to measure. So it really doesn't matter if um, you, all of your cases are different. There is a commonality to what you do that a metric can measure. So I, I think it's I think it's a little short-sighted to say that they just can't work out. And frankly, of all the different examples of metrics that we've talked about, um, how many of the ones, the examples I just gave, have absolutely nothing to do with the type of practice you have, the type of, of, of law that you practice, or the type of case that you have? There's always a way to find um, a, a metric that will that will help. And, and one of the things that, that you mentioned about you know solving problems by using metrics, I, I think metrics are also useful for identifying problems. If you don't know what's going, you know, that you have a sense that something things going wrong? Why are we not getting clients? Why are we having problems with X, Y, and Z? Then a metric can be used to figure out where your problem lies and thereby let you solve it. So again, doesn't matter how unique uh, your cases or your practice might be. Um, there are lots of issues that lawyers and law practices have that can be solved or, or at least better understood by looking at a few measures and, or metrics in their practice. Well, I think on the in-house side, I think that the metrics can also be useful in communicating with your your business owners to say, if we look at this and we've looked at the metrics for how long it takes to do, let's say, like a standard standard type of contract, and then we say we we know there are outliers, so we can pull those those things out. And then you go to the business owner and say, okay, if we were able to get, you know, like a seven-day turnaround or, or whatever, it would make sense. But let's use that as the example with the understanding that if we're doing, you know, a brand new, say, like 
total enterprise software agreement, it is not going to be a seven-day agreement, then I think that the business owners were always happy about that because they would say, okay, if it's standard, we know what to expect, and we can make plans on that, and we can put that into our project plans, um, and our project manager can build that in. And then we have an understanding that there are going to be outliers, and, and if we identify them ahead of time, then we're in that magical world of communication where things just go better and and uh, people get happier. So I like that. Um, Tom, I don't know what, as you run into things, I know there's things that you do, there's things that I did, but what do you think are the things that typically uh, law firms and lawyers are using as metrics these days that you would say are sort of the common ones? Well, I, I mean, I think that the metrics that most lawyers would use all revolve around money. They all revolve around um, either how much it costs to do something or how much revenue is generated by doing something. Uh, that would be my, my guess is, is, is that one of the more useful metrics would be to determine how much did it cost me to gain this client and how much money do I make from them doing the type of work that I do. Um, if you are doing a criminal defense practice where you're not making a lot of money, a lot of money versus... Um, on the other side, you're doing a corporate litigation practice where you're making considerably more money. I think those are the types of metrics that you want to be able to understand is what are the most profitable clients that I can get at the lowest possible cost to get them. So to me, the most logical metrics for firms to use are going to be around money, although I would argue that some of the most useful ones are the ones to say, what are the what are some of the factors in the firm that can help me make money? Um, the client satisfaction and employee satisfaction. To, to name just a few, I think are equally as important, but lawyers don't think of those quite as often as I would like. Yeah, I also think that lawyers tend to look, because it is so front and center for lawyers, is is the whole billable hours. Um, you know, so you have uh, the time billed, the, the, the time actually invoiced, the the time actually collected and some efficiency metrics around that that uh, the people focus on. And that sort of kind of becomes this, I, to me, that gets isolated because you say, okay, so what improvements are going to come out of that? I mean, you're, you're going to tell people you need to build more hours is typically a good thing, find more profitable clients. And then, because it's, it's really that next step where the metrics are, are going to help you. Then I also think that uh, metrics are really useful when you have a small number of them and they, they come, they're easily come to mind. So to me, a great example is that uh, if you look at the cost of acquiring a new client, it's in simplest terms, it's going to be your marketing budget divided by the number of new clients you get in a year. So if you're looking at an annual cost. So I think that's a really important number, but I I would sort of challenge our listeners to say, do you know what that number is at your firm right now? Um, and do you think you should know that number? Because that, that may tell you something about how, uh, you know, how much effort it makes sense to put into a new client. And then, then also to look at the revenue side, because uh, that can can help you kind of sort out clients and triage and, and do those sorts of things. So I think that's metrics, Tom. Uh, 
But we want to talk, uh, we definitely want to talk about KPIs, uh, which are sort of, uh, you know, metrics on steroids uh, in a certain way, but they're also a simplification and uh, uh, going really specific to identify the metrics that are most important either to you or to your business. Tom, you want to take a stab at KPIs? Sure. So KPIs are key performance indicators. And I think that one of the best ways I've seen them described is that all KPIs are metrics, but not all metrics are KPIs. The key performance indicators, they're just measurements, the same way that we've been talking about them, but they are, (laughs) to be obvious, they're key. But not everything that you measure can be key, because if everything that you measured was key, then it wouldn't make a lot of sense. So there are, metrics are still important, though. So let's, I guess, give give an example kind of of the difference between a KPI and a metric, Um, is that one, let's say one of your KPIs is generating leads to get new clients. Um, um, and you figure out that you see that that has taken a nosedive, that you're not getting as many leads, um, you're not getting as many clients, and you need to figure out why that happened. Well, you can look at other metrics to figure out what caused that KPI to suffer. So maybe you had uh, traffic to your website dropped because a couple of days your internet provider was out of service and your and your site was down, and so people weren't clicking on links, they weren't able to get to it. Or, or there were broken links that stopped them from communicating with you to say, I'm interested in your services. That's a metric that can lead you to, like I said before, solve a problem. And so the, the KPI is lead generation. That's the key indicator is how much, how fast are we, are we converting clients, uh, leads to clients, um, and it's being affected by other metrics, which are not as key. It doesn't matter how many days your website might be up or how what the broken links were or things like that, but it all leads somewhere. So I, I sort of look at, the, at KPIs being strategic, metrics being tactical, Tactical KPIs reflecting a business goal or objective, um, how successful the law firm is in meeting that objective, that metrics support KPIs, KPIs support a strategy. Those are sort of the ways that I, um, that I look at KPIs. Anything that I missed? Yeah, I think you did a really great job there, Tom. And and uh, the thing that that I got really interested in as I I started to dig more into into KPIs is this notion of KPIs being a process. So you have this process, and you're trying to I th- I think really go with a small number of KPIs that really tell you important things, and then you're adjusting those, and you're challenging them, and and you're like I said, you're interrogating them, and, and and looking at the results. So I think that traditionally, if you looked at hours billed by attorneys uh, and you would, on a monthly basis, you would have these numbers. And I've seen this before. And somebody would go, our billables were significantly down in February. And you're going like, there, there's only 28 days in February. That's probably the explanation. So I think that you start to say, um, as, as Tom was talking about, you have these numbers, you go, here's something that doesn't look right. Do we need to change it a little bit? Or is there an explanation for something that happened? You know, was the weather bad as it's, it's been here in Michigan where people might not be working? Is that going to have an impact? And so, so that's the sort of thing I like, because you may have something where you go, oh, we're looking at employee turnover. And that may not be what's important to you. It may be turnover of 
long-term employees, maybe turnover most important employees, and you can start to kind of tweak these things. I guess, Tom, I, I did want to recommend this short book that, that I read uh, from Harvard Business Review Press. They have something called the uh, – the Pocket Mentor Series, and it's called Measuring Performance, and it's $9.99 on Kindle. And if you want a metric that would be really important to you, $90.99 to give you a great overview with specific examples of metrics. Um, this is probably the best $90.99 you'll, you'll spend this year. So um, I, I think what I'm interested in, Dennis, I think you've got some kind of specific ideas on on really the best way to develop the KPIs, the best way to put them into into place. Maybe you could spend some time talking about the what you think the best strategy would be to um, to leverage KPIs in a practice. Well, I think first is you do want to sit down and say, what is our strategy? You know, like what is it that we want to accomplish, say this year, and how will we determine that it's successful? And are, is there what they sometimes call a critical success factor? Is that something we can measure and track? And sometimes this is surprisingly easy once you get the hang of it. So it's always good to see examples of metrics. So if you're just in a, a business that wanted to be more global, you would say, we have a strategy this year to have more revenue outside the U.S. Then the KPI you might track will be the percentage of your revenue that's coming from non-US markets. And then you might have a dashboard that is a little chart, like a pie chart, and see that percentage. You might see whether it's going up or down. You might track to certain goals. And you might have, you know, sort of uh, uh, a color system, red, yellow, and green, to see how you're on track with that. And you might have this dashboard. And so I think that it's one of those things where if you spend the time up front, which people always don't like to do, but if you do that and you align strategy and try to pick a few things and track those, that really gets you off to a good start. And then you can you can get those sort of more in alignment with what you want and, and get better information that you can turn into action on. Sometimes you just have to pick a metric that, may make sense. So my friend John Albert, when he was at Brian Cave, was was doing some uh, some metrics and to to look at how they wanted to analyze what they were doing to make decisions on that basis. And he probably, he told me he had like maybe four or five possibilities, but the one they decided to go with was profit per partner. And they decided they could, you know, start with that and key a system to that. So when they budgeted cases and stuff like that, they looked at the impact on profit per partner. And as a starting point, it's a really good way to go. So I think that sometimes you can overcomplicate, but I think you want to kind of take a look at what's important to you and where you're going and to avoid the thing of saying, okay, go out, somebody go out there and find a book or a website that tells us what metrics we should be doing. Um, there are some good examples out there, but I, you want to apply it to what you're doing. Okay. So I think, you know, if I hear you right, some of the best practices we want to talk about with metrics and KPIs is small number, small is best, helps you measure more, helps you get more effect out of that. Do you want to map those KPIs to a given specific some, you know, smart goals strategy that you can measure. You don't want to use the easiest measures. You don't want to make them simple because then you can't stretch, you can't grow, you can't learn from that. 
You want to um, you know, figure out what easily available and reliable data that you can use. Um, you want to experiment and evaluate and, and try different and new things. And don't be afraid to try something new if it's not working. Make changes if necessary. I will also say that this is a technology podcast. You need some technology to track the KPIs. You can't measure what you can't track. Isn't that what we said before? When you set your KPIs, make sure that you have systems that are capable of tracking them. That may be your practice management system. It might be your billing system. It could be a social media monitoring tool could be something, but make sure that you have the capability of tracking what you're trying to measure or else you're not even going to be able to know what your metrics are. Dennis, what's next up in terms of metrics that we want to talk about or maybe uh, give us a sneak preview for a future podcast? I want to touch on one topic and then then we'll we'll talk about OKRs just just briefly. I think there is this notion of when you look at metrics is to really think about cause and effect as opposed to correlation. So you I think if you choose a metric you want to actually be sure that you're tracking something that you do that has the the effect that you want. And the other thing you have to watch is people gaming the system. So um, try to design things in a way where people can't kind of alter their behavior to, you know, to turn the chart green or turn the symbol green, um, and it doesn't accomplish what you want for your business purposes. So that gives you uh, KPIs and metrics. And there's a new thing that we're going to come back to in a later podcast called OKRs. And uh, Tom, you want to you tease that up just briefly and uh, take us out of the segment? My only tease there is OKR stands for objectives and key results. It's something that a lot of very big, very popular companies are using now to measure their success, to measure the, the goals that they have. My initial thought when I start to think about this is that uh, is that it's not a lot different from metrics and KPIs, but maybe it is. And that's why we want to talk about it in a future podcast. But right now, let's take a break for a message from our sponsors. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. Text Expander is a productivity multiplier. Lawyers love Text Expander because with a short abbreviation or search while typing, Text Expander can produce cover emails for invoices or signing instructions, insert templates for consistent meeting notes, perform accurate date math on the fly, and instantly present things you retype all the time. Text Expander runs on Macs, iPhones, iPads, and Windows and works in any application. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast for 20% off your first year. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. So Tom and I were talking recently, or Tom might say maybe I was talking and he was listening, about the high price of ebooks. So the Ebook prices initially, at least to me, were set around nine ninety nine or less, but they've definitely crept up in price. And since 
we know that the production and distribution costs have to be much less than a physical book. I've been wondering why that is and whether we're just seeing a repeat of the way high prices for CDs and DVDs out of proportion to production distribution costs moved us to streaming and other online options. Tom, is this something that I'm an outlier on and only I worry of, of, about, or is this something... Maybe I'm onto something here. Do you wonder what's going on when you uh, see that a hardback version of a book is is cheaper than the Kindle version? Okay, so I did a well, I didn't do a little research. Here's the simple answer for this: When Amazon first went into business, or when they really got into the business of selling books, they used a wholesale model that allowed them by contract to set the pricing at $9.99 maximum. Sometimes less, but $9.99 was the most that they wanted to charge for a book, and they wouldn't let any publishers charge more than $9.99. Back in 2012, the Justice Department, you may remember, they filed a lawsuit against a number of publishers that were alleging that they had colluded to raise the price of ebooks. And then over the next few years, from 2012 to about 2014 or 2015, Amazon started making deals with most of the publishers where the publishers finally got the rights to set their own pricing. Um, so I think, Dennis, to the extent you're seeing um, higher prices on ebooks, this is the reason why they're higher. I think this is what started it. I would argue in speculation that publishers are afraid that cheaper ebooks will steal sales from hardcover books. And so that's why they raised the price. Um, but I've also seen lots of statistics that say that ebook sales are actually down, that people aren't buying ebooks very much because the price is so high. Um, so not sure what to make about that. But then let me wrap up with this and say that I did a very highly unofficial, highly unscientific study where I took my list of the books I plan to read. I've got a very long list of books that are, that are on my to-read list, and, um, and, and I took the top 20, and I went to Amazon, and I did a test, and I wanted to do the average Kindle, paperback, and hardcover price. And the average prices turned out to be the average Kindle price for all, the top 20 books on my list were Kindle price was $10.28. The average paperback price was $13.31. And the average hardcover price was $17.77. So if we're playing a, a pardon the interruption game here, I'm going to have to call no deal because I'm not seeing the problem that you're seeing. And frankly, there's a lot of the paperbacks that are on my list that I can get for free on Kindle Unlimited or I can get for $4.99. So maybe we're just, maybe I'm not reading fancy books like you are, but I'm not seeing the same problem that you are. Well, I think that it seems like the, the pricing is directed to publishers the same way that CD pricing was directed to to the music producers and not the artists or the consumers. And then it also, as you said, there are things like Amazon Kindle and these big discounts or things that you can read for free or four ninety nine, um, and it's a matter of timing and whether you know about it and. There are a bunch of production costs and, and other things like that, but the fact is that to distribute a digital book um, in a Kindle format conceptually feels like it's nothing, right? So that's one thing. And then I also notice, uh, Tom, that there is a sense of, uh, with books, the what I call the movie pricing, 
you know, so that when a book first comes out, the price is very high. Then, uh, like a, a movie is when it's in theaters, uh, becomes available um, in conceptually a less expensive way when it goes to DVD on Netflix, that sort of thing. And so you have that that idea of hardback, audiobook, uh, Kindle, paperback, and they all have different pricing. And, you know, sometimes the Kindle book or, you know, there's a delay of paper book or, uh, you know, an e-book. And then there's some new books that are available in hardback and, and audio right away. So that's one thing. And then also think it's, uh, was, has become really interesting to me is as I really like scribed, which is S C R I B D, which has, uh, been described as a Netflix for books model. And I think that that's become more interesting because I don't know that I want to pay 1599, uh, for a Kindle book, as opposed to just uh, paying nine ninety nine a month uh, that you might do for a, a scribed or or the Amazon service and read whatever books that I that I want. So now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip website or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So for those of you who use the Chrome browser, Google's Chrome browser, you um, may or may not notice that when you open a new tab, um, there are, I think, usually Google will give you the, the last sites that you've been to or the ones that you go to more most frequently. Um, but for those of you who open tabs a lot or, or have open tabs, wouldn't it be nice to have something a little bit more interesting? And so I've got a link, we'll put it in the show notes, to the 15 best new tab extensions for Google Chrome fans. And so just as an example, there is one that does Earth View from Google Earth. So you get a different Earth view from Google Earth every time you open your tab. Google Arts and Culture will give you a new painting every time you open a new browser tab. Um, there's a, there, there's one for uh, Dennis's favorite stock photography site, Unsplash, which will show a new picture from Unsplash every time. I use one from Product Hunt where every time I open a new tab, I see what the latest products that have been unveiled or, or, or rolled out, the startups that have rolled out new new tools on Product Hunt are all the time. Um, it's a great list of things to make your opening tabs just a little bit more interesting. We'll include the link in the show notes. Tom, I just imagine that you're, if I were to walk up behind you while you're at your computer, it would be like the most busy thing in, in the world. Um, no. <laughs> no. Nope. Nope. But, okay, so what I have is... Uh, people always wonder what's going on in the world of legal innovation. And um, Dan Linna, a law professor at Northwestern, decided to do something about that. And he created the Legal Services Innovation Index to kind of let you know what law firms are doing things in innovation and to kind of track that. So there's a new version that he just put out, and you can find it on his site at legal uh, legaltechlever.com. And so this is version 1.02, and I think they added 112 new additions to that catalog of law firm innovations. So if you want to see some of the things that law firms are doing that they categorize as innovation, um, this is probably the best place right now to see all of that at, at one place. And big thank you to Dan Linna and his group of students who worked on, on the update. And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. 
Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site, where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts. You can suggest a topic at bit.ly slash 2 capital Q capital N W H capital Z U. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please reach out to us on LinkedIn. Or remember, you can always leave us a voicemail. We love getting voicemails for our B segment. That number is 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. And we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.